So as we go through this book of Ephesians, we're at an interesting place in the text right now. <clears throat> if you've been with us through all this, then, then you're kind of aware of, of where we're at. <clears throat> we're at a place where uh, he's applying all this theology that he's had before. And the theology that he is now applying, the last time, uh, because of timing and everything, you know, it was Mother's Day and we, we talked about marriage. This is going to be the one that was supposed to be for Mother's Day, but it's, it's just as good today. Drew, in the adult Sunday school room in the fridge is bottles of water. Thank you. <clears throat> I want to read to you a 1700s nursery rhyme. You've probably heard it. It goes like this. There was an old woman who lived in a shoe. She had so many children, she didn't know what to do. So she gave them some broth without any bread. She whipped them all soundly and sent them to bed. Parenting's hard, isn't it? I mean, sometimes we can relate with that nursery rhyme. I don't care, thank you so much. I don't care if you have one child, or if you have four children, if you have six, or ten, or if your children are 30, or if they're eight, right? Parenting is hard, and sometimes we feel like this lady. Sometimes we feel like, you know what? Broth, spankings, bedtime, and that's all I can handle. You know, as I said, parenting is hard, but it is a gift from God. It, it is a way that we can understand and apply the gospel to not only our, our, our own hearts, which by his grace we are able to do that, but also to the hearts of, of our children, even if they are 30, or even if we are 30 and our parents are older. Gospel-centered families is what Paul is going to talk about, and this is a profound parental privilege in Ephesians. So if you have a copy of God's Word, uh, turn to Ephesians. Now, and I also want to tell you, uh, normally what we do here at ABC, if you're, if you're brand new or if you've been here for a while, is the preaching style called expository preaching. What that means is we'll take a section of text, and, uh, and I just bring things out of that text. I don't, I, don't, I don't travel around a lot unless they're just supporting verses. Uh, we stay right where we're supposed to stay, in my opinion, or right in the text of that, and we let the text speak for itself. And so uh, that's just how, how, how I roll. Um, there's other kind of sermons that, are do, that do topical, where they'll take a single topic, and then they'll, they'll pick verses uh, that will then support that or feed into that or lift up the points that they have over that topic, both of which are, are great, um, both of which can be misused. And so today, what we're going to kind of do is we're going we're, we're to do uh, exposolopical, okay? And so we're going to take an expository text and also look at the topic of parenting, okay, if that, if that makes sense. And so as you go to Ephesians uh, chapter 5, that's, that's the main section, so keep your thumb there. But also just be aware, you can turn if you want to with me, but we're going to be traveling through Scripture quite a bit, okay? With that said, as we begin talking about gospel-centered families, I, I want to show you that in the beginning, now guys in the back, I'm just going to read through and I'm going to have you uh, go through with me if, if you can, okay? Um, so um, it started in Genesis. This command, this, this whole idea of gospel-centered families does not begin in the New Testament. It's all throughout Scripture. It was the original intent, as we see in, in Genesis 1, 27 through 31, as God created humanity. He made the male and female in his image. Remember, we talked about marriage. And so within the context of marriage is the family. 
The first family is your birth family, the one that you were origin from. Your next family is your spousal family, or, or uh, if you become a Christian, then your, your Christian family. But your primary family then is then the, the spousal family. Then from that comes, comes children. We see that in Genesis 1, 27 through 31. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the air and all those other things. So we are to be good stewards of the environment and all the beasts and the bugs and the whatever. But it is us that are supposed to rule and to reign. We are supposed to fill it. This is why things like this abortion debate isn't really a debate according to Scripture. Uh, we are all a created in the image of God, and every human life is a gift from God to all those around us. So, we are called to come together to fill the earth and to multiply. But, as you will see, and they're going to have to move forward, uh, Genesis 3, there's something bad that happened. So the original intent, remember, is a gospel-centered, God-glorifying family unit where husbands and wives and children would all be in this symbiotic, perfect, loving relationship that would then visualize God in his triune personhood and the marriage and Christ and his church and all those things. But yet, in Genesis 3, we see this terrible thing, the fall, right? The fall takes place. We are disobedient, and because of that, there is punishment on all of humanity. Adam and Eve, the woman said, I will surely, God's, this is God's curse to women, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. We just talked about that last week, right? Uh, but he shall rule over you. And Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it because you decided to go with her and her word and the word of Satan instead of what God had said because men often advocate their leadership and don't lead well and aren't spiritual leaders, then all these things happen. And so men do not go home or do not you know, elbow your wife and say, see, it's all women's fault to begin with. No, it's ours. Own it. Yes, okay. So because of this fall then, she has a curse upon her and Adam has a curse upon him because of all these things in pain, you too, right? So both of them have pain, both of them have suffering, both of them have hardships and trial now. In pain you shall eat of all the days of your life. Uh, cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat of the plants of the field, but the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken, and dust you shall return, he says. So that's the curse, pain and suffering and toil. So that which was the pinnacle of all creation, husband and wife, covenantal relationship union, and from that, the gift of childbearing is now a hardship, a trial. And so it's natural now for us on this side of the fall to relate to this old woman in the shoe, and it's natural for our tendency to be like hers and to say, you know what, I've had enough. Shut your mouths and go to bed. And the problem isn't just with the parents. If we continue on to Genesis 4, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. Does anybody not know how this story goes? And so the first two sons, 
Out of all of the earth, one kills the other. Not the way you want your family to go, right? Parents, I mean, that's not what you want. And so this is the situation that we're facing. And and so I I, I don't want to rosy or Christianize your experience. We have four children, and and, and I think it's, it's hard for somebody whose children haven't haven't graduated into adulthood and, and into their life, it's, it's difficult for me to then speak to you as if I know everything. Especially for some of you who your, your kids are grown. Or what if I didn't have children at all? Would it be fair for me to then speak to you about the right way to parent, not having any children of my own? The answer to both of these things are, we can't sugarcoat this with marriage and with, with parenting, but we still have a call. And so it might not be the easiest thing, but, but here's the good news. God has given us everything that we need to fulfill this. And this is a command, and this is where we are in Ephesians. So, so now if you're in Ephesians chapter 6, you can read this with me. And this is where it starts. And so again, children, it starts in the marriage. Remember, we just talked about that. It starts with a husband and a wife. And then they have children. So remember the context of Ephesians, how it goes. And after that, then now he's talking to you. And so this is the command, he says in Ephesians 6, 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. For this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So like I said, we're going to go into an exposopical approach to this text because this is our call this is our command even though it's even though we're fallen even though things are difficult even though families don't always look like one husband one wife even though children can be uh, uh, adult children and how do they function with this or you are adult children how do you function with this how do you parent adult children and function with this so there's lots of questions that we have there but this is the call this is the command let's look at that but let's pray God, our Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your goodness, for your glory, that you have created us in your image. And for those of us who are your children, God, even more than that, then you've given us your spirit so that our hearts, as we read this, we hunger and thirst to fulfill this. We see this in your text and we recognize the goodness of your original creation and the, how far that we have come. But God, you have sent your Son. In Christ Jesus, there is justification, there is redemption, there is sanctification. In your Son, there is Holy Spirit power. And in your Son, you have adopted us to be sons of daughters, that we might might know what good fathering, what good parenting looks like, and what we might come to understand what it means to be a good and obedient child. So help us, we pray. Help us as we apply this text, both as children and as parents. Because it's for your name, for your glory that we ask this. Amen. So as we, as, as we look at this, the, the, the call is clear, right? Uh, but let's dive into this. And, and I want to tell you in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, there's, I see some ways that we as a society, myself included sometimes, we, we fail to do this as, as a parent and or as a child. The first thing is this. 
uh, we fail in this first way, thinking that your child's spiritual development is the church's responsibility. Now, to some degree, it is the joy of Drew, myself, the Light Bearers team. It's, it's uh, nursery people, the junior church, uh, you know. It is our joy to bring the gospel to children. That's why we have things like the after-school program and the Light Bearers program. That's, that's why VBS exists, which we're going to try to do this summer. So pray for that. But thinking that your child's spiritual development is the church's responsibility is absolutely contrary to the word of God. In Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, it says, uh, as, as you have a copy of it, we're, we're going to turn to Deuteronomy here in just a minute too if you want to begin flipping there. But uh, in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, it says, Children, obey the church? No. No, it says, Children, obey your parents, their parents. It's good to have other people, other adults speaking into the lives of these children, but their first, their primary relationship with anyone who's to teach them anything about Scripture is parents. He says, for this is right. And then he goes on, he says, honor your father and mother. I want to just touch on this for a minute. Obeying parents eventually will come to an end because you'll become an adult. So as a 37-year-old, with my own wife, I don't have to obey my parents anymore to the, the same way that I did when I was 8, 10, 12, whatever, you know. However, the second part of that command, honoring your father and mother, never goes away. In fact, I was having a conversation with uh, my father-in-law yesterday, I think it was, where where he made the comment, you you know, you you can honor your parents even if you don't respect them. Deuteronomy 5. So if, if you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to read it to you. Uh, Deuteronomy 5 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Here it is, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. So the first thing I want you to see is how we fail with this. Is to take thinking our children's spiritual development is the church's responsibility is our sins have the potential to impact our children and the generations that follow. You see, here's the deal. If I'm an angry, abusive father or husband, the chances are very high that my son's will grow up to be angry and abusive fathers and husbands. And also that my daughters will grow up to think and accept angry and abusive husbands. And whatever that might be for you in your situation. Whether it's alcohol abuse or drug abuse or sexual addictions or divorce or any of these other things that all of us from time to time, all of us, everybody in this room has been subject to some of these things and fallen part of these things or we know people that have uh, struggled with these things. Our sins have the potential to impact our children to the next generation and to generations after. But God... You see, the hope in this is also this. We also, we also, by the glory of God, by the grace that is in Christ, we are able to break the chains of addiction and oppression and all those other things. 
that if we will do, as this says, if we will put God first, that, that's what this is about. Don't make any of these carved images. Brothers and sisters, we might not have carved images, but we have other things that we serve. We serve the rat race. We serve our retirements. We serve our bank accounts. We serve our sports teams. We serve our, you fill in the blank. And so we might not have little images of these things where we have shrines because, well, that's way too pagan for us here in America, right? But don't we have these little shrines in our hearts? And so be wary, but also be rejoicing in these two things. One, that if we are faithful, he will be faithful to our children, but also beware that our sins have the potential to impact these children in generations to follow. But Christ. And so go through your heart. Throw these idols away. Be faithful so that God also might prove himself to be faithful. Even when we are faithless, does he lose his faithfulness by no means? But Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, he goes on. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Another way we fail with this by thinking that somebody else is supposed to spiritually develop our children is, is God has commissioned his people to teach these subsequent generations. I, I hate this quote and love it at the same time. Um, it's by John Flavel. He's, uh, he's, he's an old theologian. He says this, If you neglect to instruct children in the way of holiness, will, ne- will, the, will the devil neglect to instruct them in the way of wickedness? And he answers for you, no. Now the quote goes on for just a minute. He says, if you, will, if you will not teach them to pray, then he will teach them to curse. He says, if the ground be uncultivated, weeds will grow. You see, God has commissioned his people to teach subsequent generations who he is, what he's done, and how he loves them. You are the primary discipler of your children. Here's the other good news about that. I don't care if you are 78 and your kid is 50-something. I think that's probably generally right math. You can still do that. You can still do these things. There is no such thing as failure. It, you should live out your faith in word and deed every day, not just on Sundays, and they will see that. And, 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 and so I, I, you need to hear me this morning. If, if, if you are an empty nester, and you're here and you're listening to this, and, and, you're, and, and instead what you're thinking to yourself is, I've failed, woe is me. There's no hope. I've, they're already out. They're already gone. What in the world can I do? Cling to the cross of Christ. Pray at the foot of the cross. Illustrate it now. Do it now. Do it today. Make a commitment in your heart that from this day forward and forevermore till God ends your breath that you will continue to show them who Christ is. You can still do that parents with children in the home understand that your time and your window is so short and if you don't believe me find a couple who is an empty nester couple and ask them 
how long it took their kids to go from diapers to driving. Every single day is the day the Lord has made. Every single day is the day that you can rejoice and be glad in it. Look what he says in the text. You shall teach them diligently, church, as you walk by the way, as you sit in your house, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you're on the way to soccer games, when you're on the way to baseball, when you're coming back from dance, when you're uh, driving to the beach, when you're you know, sitting playing uh, games in Monopoly and where everybody in the house wants to flip the table and the board because it's ridiculous. Teach them Christ in those moments. Display Christ in those moments. Second way that we often fail as we look through this is that being deceived, that thinking that keeping children happy is as important as helping them be holy. You see, there's this thing called discipline, and we need it. We crave it. Uh, A long time ago, I used to be participating in something called Big Brothers Big Sisters, and I had this little brother. And uh, I believe his mom loved him absolutely, I believe that, as, as all parents love their children. But unfortunately, his mother was not very good at following through. I, I have a story for you that I wanted to share with you in, in one of these commentaries that I was reading. It says, that the, the damage that this disobedience causes was well demonstrated to my family on a trip to this amusement park years ago that is now legendary for them. Okay? They were sitting in line for a train ride. And as they waited, a five- or six-year-old child in front of them decided to climb on top of the fence and and sit there. Now, his mother reacted very quickly, saying, Johnny, of course it's Johnny, isn't it? Come on. Uh, So Johnny, come down from there. Johnny did not even move an eyelash. As they continued, he says, this would have been comical if it wasn't for the absolute horror according to God's word. This is the conversation, one-sided. Johnny, come down from there right now. Johnny, come down. I'm not going to tell you again. Uh, Johnny, I'm going to count to three. One, two, two and a half. Now, Johnny, I mean it. Johnny, I'm going to tell your father when we get home. Okay, Johnny, just sit there. I'm going to leave you if you don't come down. Johnny, please. Come down. If you do, I'll buy you an ice cream cone. They said that they squeezed past the children to ride their ride, and as far as he knows, he might be 25 years old and still sitting on that fence post. (laughs) You see, often we are deceived in thinking that keeping our children happy is more important than making them and helping them and facilitating holiness, and it is not. Scripture says, blessed is the one who walks in the way of the Lord. But in Ephesians, as we go back to our main text for this morning, right? We're taking expostopical approach here. Children, obey your parents where? In the Lord, for this is right. And by the way, Paul starts, he, he, he backs this up with scripture, but he says, just do it because it's right. Obey your parents because it's right. You don't need other reasons. Every society, everywhere knows that a child should obey their parents. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it might go well with you. Why? Well, if, if your parenting is, is anything like uh, what I received when I grew up, when you don't obey, it does not go well for you, right? And so just in a very simple manner of speaking, just in a very physical manner of speaking, obey your parents because it's going to go well with you. But also we see here that God is 
so much more in this command than this. He knows, and children, you should know. So children, listen, if your parents kept you up here, this is why, right here. We've been around. Believe it or not, yes, yes, you're right. We don't look as cool as the people on TV. We can't do all the fun things that your video game characters can do. No superpowers. But we've been around for a little while. We've seen a few things. And I'm here to tell you that your parent loves you more than you can possibly understand until the day that you also welcome your first child into this world. You don't get it. So, just shut up and listen, okay? That's, that's all we're asking. Just stop it and just do what we say because we love you and we know what's best. That's it. It's real simple. And God says the same thing. So, right? Sermon over, right? Uh, but we think sometimes that keeping our children happy is more important than keeping them holy. First Samuel 3, when we went through Samuel, we see that with Eli and his sons. Do you guys remember that if you were here for that? We, we went through that. And Eli's sons, it says this in First Samuel three eleven through 15. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, which the two ears of everyone who hears will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. This is to little Samuel. This is the story. This is the message that, that, this is the first message that Samuel had as a child. Remember, he was sleeping. Samuel, Samuel, he woke up, he went to Eli. He's like, what's up, man? I didn't call you. Go to bed, right? Eventually, third time, just say, Lord, I'm, I'm listening. This is the message that God gave to little Samuel, his first message for the priest Eli and the priest's sons. The first message was, because you're not disciplining your children, I'm going to. That's a scary message. So just as our sins have the potential to go down to our children for the next generation, so does our worship of the Lord, and so does our obedience, and so does our faithfulness. Just, because, uh, just as God has commissioned us to teach, subsequent generations look at what happens when we don't. Jacob and Esau. Jacob was a sneaky conniver, and Esau could not control himself. Joseph and his brothers. Joseph was so spoiled, he was too big for his own britches, so his brothers tried to kill him. King David and his sons. King David was a man after God's own heart, but because of his uh, spiritual blindness in parenting realms, his throne was continuously tried to be usurped, and even his children killed one another. You see, fathers and sons' examples in the Old Testament illustrates that while we influence our child matters, only God can, can, can transform their hearts. And so we are deceived into thinking that keeping our children happy is more important than keeping them and helping them be holy. Listen, it is our job to discipline our children. Hebrews 12, 5 through 10. Have you forgotten the exhortation that he addressed you as sons? My son did not regard lightly the discipline of your Lord, nor being weary when approved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves 
chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, you are an illegitimate child and not sons. Besides this, you have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipled us for a short time, and it seems best to them, but the disciplines he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. The point of discipline is holiness. Children, I have another secret for you this morning. Your parents, when they wake up in the morning, you, you, you may think that this is how it is. Your parents, when your parents wake up in the morning, they don't wake up thinking to themselves, what kind of punishment and discipline can I dole out today? I'm ready. That's not what they think. It's not what they want. Your parents, when they wake up in the morning, because of you, the first thing they think is, is the coffee ready? All right? I'm just kidding. When your parents wake up in the morning, they long to see you. When I, Elisa wakes up before me, um, because she's a Proverbs 31 woman. She wakes up early and she goes out there and she waits for the children to wake up and to crawl up onto her lap and she longs for that. Your parents long for that. But they're also called the discipline. And because they love you, they, they do. In fact, because they love you, they, they must. So how does this work if your parents are older than you? I mean, <laughs> if you're an adult, if you're an adult and your parents are, are also, you know what I'm, just don't pretend like you don't know what I'm trying to say. We can still honor them. Parents, it's our duty to discipline our children. Look at what it says throughout Proverbs. And by the way, remember, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. It says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Do not withhold discipline from your child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen. The rod of reproof gives wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. See, we can't always have happiness. But here's the interesting fact. Holiness is ultimately where we find not just happiness, but joy and peace, prosperity, wholeness. It is where we find Jesus. It is where we find ultimate fulfillment. And so substitute happiness for holiness, even for a short time. Look at what it says there. For a short time we endured discipline, but it was for our good and for God's Glory. Thomas Brooks says, God's corrections are our instructions. His lashes are lessons. His scourges are schoolmasters. His chastisements are advertisements, knowing that we are then his children. And to note this, the Hebrews and the Greeks both express chastening and teaching by one and the same word. 
paideia, because the latter is true and of the former. Paideia means instruction, teaching. Failure three. Being more concerned with children that are good within the glory of the gospel of grace. There's a difference between holiness and fear. As parents, we are seeking to build holiness, not fear. The story of the two children, right? Jesus gave this illustration. Parent comes to them and to the one, you know, he's, I, I don't know, I, I forget exactly what it is. We'll, we'll say it's mo- go mow the lawn. And the one says, no, I'm not, I'll, I'll, I, yes, dad, I'll, I'll do that right now. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do that right now. And then he doesn't do it, right? And then the other one, go mow the lawn. And he says, I don't want to do that. I want to sleep in and watch cartoons. And then he thinks about what he said. He gets up and he goes out and he mows the lawn. Which one of those children was obedient? And Jesus says the, the, the second one, because he did actually what the, what the father wanted him to do. Sometimes, I think, as parents, we are so concerned with making our children good that we forget about the glory of the gospel of God's grace. And so, parents, beware that your disciplining of your children takes on because you have a certain standard that you yourself is pursuing. I can't believe that you disrespected me at that Cub Scout meeting in front of all those people. Don't you ever talk to me like that again. It's always, yes, sir, no, sir, when we're out in public. You know the right way to act. But what matters more is that they want to do what is right. What matters more is that they have a pursuit of the glory of this gospel of grace and that we as parents also, as we discipline, we are showing them the glory of this gospel of grace. Showing them the gospel that that, that they're getting punishments, whatever those are, whatever those look like, whether corporal or not. I'm not here to tell you which is right or wrong. But when you do that, are you tying that to the gospel? Are you tying that to, this is the punishment which we deserve, but however, Christ has died for that. And mom and dad, we deserve punishment too, but Christ died for that. When you sin against your child, are you, are you apologizing to them? Are you asking your child for forgiveness when you sin against them? I'm here to tell you, out of experience, there is nothing quite so humbling as going to a three-year-old and asking for forgiveness when you have sinned against them. It is a glorious thing for what it teaches you and what it teaches your child. So Ephesians 6, 1, 4, our proof text, our main text, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go with you and you may have long life on the earth. Four, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the discipline, the instruction of who? The Lord. Colossians 3, 20 through 21. You, you see, Ephesians 6, 1, and Colossians 3, 20 is often the first verse a Christian parent has their child memorize. Children, obey your parents in everything, for it pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But parents, are we memorizing verses 4 and 21? 
Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up with the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And, and women, just so you are aware, this applies to you too. Don't think, oh, well, this is for fathers, not for me. In the text, the Greek can be translated to fathers or to parents in general. Let's, I just want to teach you some context just for a minute. This letter is to whom? Ephesians, right? So this letter is to the Ephesians. We can't forget where it is that we're at in context of Scripture. So the Ephesians is part of the Roman Empire. So Paul is writing to the Ephesian church that's there, and he's teaching them all this theology. He's already went through there. The church has been planted. He's writing this uh, as he's in prison in Rome, remember, right? So he's writing to them out of Roman prison to a Roman kind of people group, uh, very uh, Gentile-esque. So he's writing them all this theology, and then he's getting them to this part. During this time of life, especially under Rome, the tradition was this. My wife would have a baby. She would present the baby to me as the, as, the, as the head of the household. I would then decide if I want to keep that baby or not. If that baby looks healthy and strong, or maybe I just want a boy and not a girl, or maybe I have enough boys and I want a girl, not another boy, then, then I'd decide. She sets the baby before me. I decide I, if I pick the baby up, it means, yep, it's a gruss. If I don't pick the baby up, it means, all right, figure out a way to get rid of it. Give it to the slave traders throw it out on the trash heap, do whatever you want to do with it, but get rid of this baby. So fathers have this right. So as we're looking at this, this is why then it's translated here for the Ephesians, for those in Rome, fathers do not do these things. But also I think it's important too, because just the way that we are designed and we are built, I think it's wise. Fathers, Remember, it talked about marriages first, and the husband is supposed to lead the wife. The husband is supposed to, to die to themselves, to lead the family. So therefore, also fathers, you are supposed to illustrate what it means to be a father in heaven. How many, how many friends, how many family members do you know that really struggle with, or you yourself, either struggle with coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior, or with thinking of God as a good God because of their father. But, children, here's another thing for you. You're, I hope you look up to your fathers. Maybe you don't even know your fathers, but you have a good and perfect father in heaven who will never leave you nor forsake you, never turn his back upon you. He will never abuse or neglect you. You have a good God you have a good father who's in heaven Amen. who always wants the best for you, who gave his only begotten son to die for you because he loves you that much that you would then be adopted into his kingdom. Earthly fathers, that is your call. Don't provoke your children and said, instruct them. As an adult, you should be asking, how can I show grace and kindness to my child just as Christ has shown to me, even when my child is not living up to my expectations? Because while as parents we are called to do all these things, to train our children this way, to, to perform these duties, I can't save my child, you can't save yours. 
all we can do is pray for and model Christ to them. Ephesians 4, 31 through 5, 1, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to, to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, because fathers, you are a child too if you're in Christ. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. John Bunyan writes this quote. He says, I have been in his family and have observed him both at home and abroad, and I know what I say of him is the truth. His house is as empty of religion as the white of egg is of savor. Thus say the common people that know him, a saint abroad and a devil at home. Parents, do not fail in these ways. It is a weighty task. Do not fail in thinking that your kid's spiritual development is up to somebody else. Do not fail in being deceived into thinking that happiness is the main goal, not holiness. Do not fail in not also then caring not about just outward behavior in the good, but the heart transformation of the glory of the gospel of God's grace. I want to close with this section in Matthew. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck that he would be drowned in the depths of the sea. Don't fail your children. If your children are out of the house, don't fail them by continuing to pray, by continuing to minister, by continuing to seek the Lord on their behalf and give wisdom when you can. If your children are in their house, don't fail them by not showing them and leading them and teaching them God's word so that they might know what true wisdom, true peace, true happiness, holiness, joy, all those things are because they're only found in Christ. And let us all rejoice that if you are a child of God, it is because your heavenly father did the same with you. That you are a child of God through his son and his sacrifice, the adoption of the blood of the cross that we all might be ushered into this amazing family with this divine and glorious God King, our Father in Heaven, who we can boldly go to on all these things. Because when we fail, and we will, there is grace, there is forgiveness, there is peace, there is joy, there is hope in Christ. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your fatherliness. We thank you for the gift of children, either physically to us or spiritually to us, God. We thank you that as a family of believers, we are ministering to one another. God, we ask that for all these who are gathered here who are parents, that you would help them, that you would strengthen them. 
whether their children are out of the house and they are now in the latter years of praying for and, and imitating you so that others might look in or whether they are in the years of active rearing, God, we pray that you would be with them and give them grace and peace and hope and trust and joy in this, that you would empower them and equip them for this divine ministries. And as children ourselves, God, help us to honor our parents. They gave us life. And for better or worse, they showed us how to live. And we thank you ultimately for you, Lord Jesus, who can use all the good our parents did and all the folly to help us love you more and give you glory. For you are our good God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.